Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foose. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast with me, your host, Jill Foos. Today, I welcome Dr. Neil Paulvin. He is a multiple board certified physician with a practice in Manhattan who combines traditional and alternative medicine to help patients live their optimal lives and perform at their best. He's focused on the study of functional medicine, integrative sports medicine, regenerative medicine, osteopathic medicine, or osteopathic manipulation, and craniosacral therapy. He works with patients too, not only to treat, but to find the root cause of autoimmune issues, thyroid and hormone imbalances, digestive and gut disorders, and a number of inflammatory-based conditions. He combines osteopathic manipulation and functional medicine to fast-track healing, recovery, and biomechanics to progress athleticism and synergistically utilizes Eastern and Western medicine, lab testing and reviews, lifestyle wellness, and manual therapy to treat injuries and inflammation. He's helped Fortune 500 executives, Olympic athletes, top trainers, and celebrities to optimize their health, recover faster from injury, and improve their sports performance. He's also an expert in peptide therapy, mitochondrial health, bioidentical hormone therapy, and longevity medicine. He's spoken on the Peptide Summit, the Biohacking Congress, and on Top Health Podcasts about how he has helped patients improve brain health, regulate hormones, and boost sports performance. He's been featured in the New York Post, Nutritious Life, Fasting MD, and many other publications and podcasts. That is a mouthful. <laughs> how do you find the time to do all of that, Dr. Paulman? Um, very carefully, very carefully. No, <laughs> it just builds up over time and... Uh just learn and learn more and more stuff. It's fun. All such incredibly interesting topics that we're going to dive into. A quick medical disclaimer is by listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others and consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to all of my guests on my podcast. So I'm really excited to have you here today and although you cover such a huge spectrum of functional and integrative medicine, I really wanted the focus to be on peptide therapy and longevity. And so can you tell me on your journey, how you even entered into the peptide therapy space? That's a good question. Um, it really kind of came about, um, I do a lot of athlete training and a lot of athlete recovery. Um, and they came up uh, some of the, the bigger, most common ones, what's called BPC-157 came up and I started using that. And then I started doing a deeper and deeper dive into some of the other ones. And I'm like, wow, these act, they work on various things. They have minimal side effects. And I just took more and more courses on them. And then I applied it in real life to my patients. And, I, and most of them had a really miraculous effects when they've tried other things that didn't work um, or they just got better results than other things. And I just kind of, love playing with things. I love, I love cutting edge stuff. Um, I think, again, I'm just so glad that compared to even like five years ago, what's out now versus then. So I just kind of kept going down the rabbit hole. 
And for someone to prescribe peptides, we're going to get into what peptides are for my community who might not be familiar. But before we start on that, to even get into this as a functional medicine doctor or just a conventional doctor, do you need special training? The answer is no. I mean, and the answer is yes and no, I guess. The, and there are, what I kind of, the way I explain to patients now is there are pretty much two level, actually probably three levels of peptides out there. In the sense, what I mean by that is there are ones you have to get from a compounding pharmacy, which is regulated by the FDA. That has to be written by a doctor. So those doctors usually will have some type of training. Some just dip their toe in and do the basic ones. Some like myself have done hours and hours and hours of coursing and teaching. Um, and then like a lot of other wellness things that are out there now, they're what I kind of call like second or third tier pharmacies where you can buy them. You don't know where they're coming from. They may have, they don't have what they say that's in them. So those patients can get them on their own. Um, but there's a lot more, they're a lot riskier. Yeah. And I've, you know, I, I don't know a lot about peptides. I know a little bit just from my own experience, but I have seen there are a lot of peptide forums online that people can join. And it's almost like, you know, your neighbors on there and telling other people how to stack or how to use these peptides. And to me, that just seems just so dangerous um, that it's really wise to work with someone like yourself if they're interested in seeing what peptide therapy is all about. They should be initially. A lot of times I'll either see patients initially who have that same thought process, or unfortunately I see the patients on the back end after they mess, they, things don't work out and they're like, okay, what did I do wrong? Help fix me. Um, right. So yeah, I don't agree with it. I mean, I, I'm in some of the groups and it's gotten, it's some of the things I'm like, this, this doesn't make any sense. Um, right. And there's just a lot of misinformation out there. And they also don't, a lot of those groups have, the companies are sponsoring them just to make, promote their product. And they're not, it's not a doctor giving medical advice. It's a very, it's a very wild, wild west situation. Right. So for my community listening today, I really want you to be mindful of that as we go through the podcast that working with a specialist like, like Dr. Paulvin um, is super important. So let's talk about the basics of peptide therapy. What is peptide therapy and where do they come from? Um, peptide therapy is it's a, a combination using one or multiple peptides, which are small groups of amino acids, anywhere from two to over 100 different amino acids that make up a structure where they work on specific enzymes or hormone system or a specific area of the body in, in some cases um, to, to perform some type of treatment. You mentioned the word stack before. Stack is where uh, a group of things is better than the sum of the parts. Uh, so some of the parts is better than individually. So we'll, we'll sometimes combine one, two, four peptides at one time. So that's where the, the art kind of comes in where we're combining peptide A, B, and C to maximize the benefit as opposed to just taking one. Um, and then the thing it, right now, a lot of these peptides can be administered in so, so many different ways. It can be via nose spray, cream, pill, sucking candy, and self-injection IV. Um, so there's so many different ways that you can get from point A to B, which is great. But where, what are they made from? Are these um, amino acids from plants, from um, animals? Like, how does it that depends. process even start? Yeah, it depends. I mean, some cases they're lab derived, um, whether with the sources you could be plant or chemical based, um, and then and then the 
the the dot the pharmacists from a compounding pharmacy are just putting them together. Some that certain ones of them are animal derived. Um, one of them called super license derived from pig. Um, it really just depends. Most of them are chemically derived at this point. Um, some of them we don't really know the sources where they're getting it from. But a lot of them are, are built in a lab, um, and that's and start from there. So if they're built in the lab and they're from a, a synthetic source, how do those, how are those able to send those messages in our bodies so well and target that one area that we want to pay attention to? Because they, because that's actually easier when they're deriving lab because we know where it's, it's whatever specific amino acid pattern that we need to like, let's use BPC that works on producing um, body, that works as a, what's called body protecting compound, which is what BPC stands for. It works on the areas of the gut. It works on the ligaments and the tendons. We know um, the compounds that work on um, melanocyte stimulating hormone, which is a whole group of them. They work on what are called toe receptors, which are receptors that act like little gates in the body and do other factors as well. So they are, it's like a lock in, in some cases a lock and key, um, in terms of other ones, they just upregulate collagen production, like something like some of the skin ones that are out there or recovery ones that are out there. Um, uh, certain ones just work specifically, or just, again, lock and key to work on chemicals in the brain um, or in other parts of the body. It's just, a, it's a, they're just it's, that's actually much easier when they're that derived, because again, it's just literally, yeah. but again, lock and key type of action. Um, something you want, of course, now I can't think of a good example off the top of my head, but that's kind of why it works really well because they're very specific. Um, they're not, they don't, you, most people don't get as many side effects you do from prescription medication or even from some supplements because it's that specific. Hmm. Okay. And then when someone starts on peptide therapy, how long does it take for these to start doing their magic? It all, it's all over the place. Um, I get that question all the time. Um, it depends on what you're taking it for. It depends if you're doing it for somebody who's just trying to be anti-aging versus sports performance versus unfortunately you're treating with somebody like a chronic illness like Lyme disease or fibromyalgia or something like that. Um, the best and simple answer would be most patients are going to notice things initially between three to six months, um, mm -hmm. three to six weeks, sorry, three to six weeks. Max is usually going to be after that second or third month, depending on dosing and what we're treating. Um, the, and the caveat would be if we're doing somebody who has an autoimmune issue or a mast cell issue is a problem with histamine um, or very severe, um, those are patients we go much slower with because they may have a reaction to it. So we're gonna go slower. So they may not notice a huge improvement for a longer period of time. But the, 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 the point is usually like three to six weeks we tell patients and that they'll notice something. Some say the first day they feel it, some take longer. So you mentioned that some people might have a reaction. What are some of those side effects that people could experience? Um, it depends. Again, everything depends on which one we're doing. Um, there's main thing that people will experience. I mean, uh, some again, patients who have problems with histamine may have what's called a mast cell response, which is some people may know they get like that flushing, that red in the face reaction. Mm -hmm. um, very occasionally, people get nauseous. Um, some people also, one of the more common side effects would be a brain fog symptom. We know a lot of patients, it helps their brain fog. If it's too high a dose or just not the right one for them, then they may feel that as well. Those are probably the most common side effects that we see. Obviously, the other part is going to be you may have worse, like the, any, with any injection, redness at the site or pain at the site. 
um, as well. But the, in terms of systemic, those are the ones that we most commonly see. And are there some people where just peptides don't work? Because I actually, the one peptide I ever tried was about a year ago. I tried PT-141, which is um, the reason I tried it was to help enhance my libido. And um, I used the nasal spray and it did not do anything for me. It did a lot for my partner, but it did nothing for me. And I was wondering, you know, is what was going on, what's going on in my body that prevented that from working? I mean, I'm a super healthy person or is it really, are these peptides really meant for people who are deficient in something and that's what they need it for? No, it doesn't do deficiency. I have plenty of, again, half my practice is probably more than that now is anti-aging or they call health optimization, biohacking, whatever you want to call it. And yeah. majority of them for whatever they're looking for, see the improvement. It's, it's very, so individual. I mean, the, the one the example you cited, the, I don't love the no spray. So it's part, maybe part of the issue. Part of it's going to be, like I mentioned, the quality of the product. And, and also is like, I tell patients, part of my initial speech is besides what I talk to them, how potentially it could be, they're somewhat expensive is that a, it's not one size fits all. It doesn't work for everybody. And two, mm. they're, they're in all, in some cases it's, it, they're not, they don't, they can't fix the foundation of a problem. If your female, if somebody's hormones are off or their gut is a disaster, it's a nice band-aid, but until you fix the problem, they're not going to work as well. So it's usually one of those three things, either it's the wrong dosing or the wrong product or delivery system is not good, or it just can't, if the leak is too heavy, or I don't have a better word of explain. I mean, you can only do, it's only going to do so much. Again, if somebody's, if somebody's severely menopausal or has thyroid issues or all of the above, PT-141 is the reason that example is only can only catch up so much. Um, but, and they don't work for everybody. I mean, I, I, I always kind of temper patients' expectations because I think it's probably the only product I've ever seen or one of the few where everybody, ha you see all the good stories online and see very rare of the, either it just didn't work or the side effects. Um, but there are people it just doesn't work for. It's not going to make you look 20 years younger and Put on 100 pounds again. The superlatives I've seen with some of the products that people just expect they can sit at home and put on muscle and lose weight and have hair again and have erectile. It, 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 they're good, they're not that good. So it's a combination of all of the above. That's really interesting because now that I'm thinking about it, at the time I also had a micronutrient test done, and I even though I eat a very nutrient dense diet, I'm a carnivore. Uh, I have uh, I had a leaky gut and had to start using glutathione treatments to heal my gut. So that makes perfect sense why a peptide I was taking probably wasn't working. Yeah, it's, it's part. Of, that's definitely was part of the issue. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about some of the many uses of peptide therapy. So I know now that they're in things for aesthetics, like you can go to a medical facial spa and get. Um, peptides injected into you, or it's part of your cosmetic, a very expensive cosmetic line. Um, speaking of cosmetic lines, you can go into like a Walgreens and find a cream that has, that says on the label, it has peptides in it. And then you can also go to a medical facial spa and buy cosmetics that have peptides in it. Is there a difference in the peptides they're using in these cosmetics? The answer is yes and no. Um, not to sound be complicated is peptide. I can't even, peptide is kind of like the word organic at this point. It's a buzzword yeah. that people are looking for. 
Um, yep. So the not only the peptide therapy that I do or is not or not the only peptide. Peptide is a combination of amino acids. So they have another peptide in there, which is a peptide, which is our peptides, but they're not the ones that we use for cosmetic purposes in our patients. Um, the ones for skin, I mean, are GHK, um, Lufazel, and a couple of the other ones. But they have other peptides. They may have collagen peptides, which everybody knows if they take that for sports or healing. Those are those are not the peptides that were prescribed. You can get from a compounding pharmacy, but they're peptides. So just because it says peptide doesn't mean they're high dose are the ones that we're talking about. It just means that it's a, a, not a week, it's probably, it's, I guess the bet, it's a weaker version and they have different properties and different benefits to them. But there are, we, my wife happens to be a plastic surgeon and I was at a conference with her, had to be like three weeks ago now. And she drove me into the, into the exhibit hall and they actually, the product they, that she wanted me to look at actually has both. They have collagen peptides and they've now added in, in some of their products, the GHK copper, which is a very good skin peptide and Lufazel, which is also very good, like what they call the Botox peptide. So some companies that are, I don't say higher end, that's not fair to say, but that are kind of doing a deeper dive or, or mixing both or may have one or the other. So it's kind of not buyer beware, but you know what you're getting and what the purpose is. People now are just using because it, it sounds cool. Um, right. It's kind of like you still need to do your research to see what you're actually getting. Um, and unfortunately, most people have no idea what to look for. And it, it's like I said, it's still the wild west. Wild west. I see products that have like such a low dosage of stuff, like other products that would wouldn't help anybody, and some that are really good. So again, it's you really again, like we said before, you really want to talk to, at least initially with a healthcare provider who has a really good background in it, because right, it, it's not. I haven't seen really damaging side effects. More, it's just that you're spending a lot of money on something that's not going to do. Well, they say it's going to do, and that could be just equally frustrating. Yeah. The only other peptide therapy, now that I think about it, that I had was PRP with peptides in my, uh, my scalp for when I was going through, I'm still in perimenopause, but so many women like myself start that massive hair shedding, especially if you have hypothyroidism or a thyroid, you know, another thyroid disease. Right. And so that also, it was incredibly painful, but at the end of the day, it did not work for me. And it hasn't worked for other people that I know that have had that. What do you, um, what are your thoughts on the PRP for hair growth? Wow, that's or a whole, the, that's a with whole, peptides. That's a whole lecture in itself. Um, how do I answer that question? It's succinct, succinctly there. Um, it works for some people. It, um, there's two pieces the answer would be a it kind of goes back to what i said before that if you're if there's a thyroid issue that's overwhelming or a gut issue or an autoimmune issue or all of the above mm-hmm. it can only keep up that's number one number two um it depends how they're doing it um it depends on what peptides they're injecting it depends on how often you're getting the prp what we do is we do it once a month with either the prp with the, with the peptides and or um uh, other injectables as well that kind of again tag team with each other to for increased benefits you need to do it multiple times um, and you need to be sometimes we find that you need to also be doing it in a home and not just the one day that you're getting your treatment done that it's not no it's not a one-shot deal no pun intended and also right. um, doing the home either dermablading or microneedling whatever you want to call it for the medicine to get in when you're not getting your treatment done is the most beneficial but just doing a PRP whatever pure people with whatever else is in it once a month or once every quarter 
for some people, it's just not strong enough. So again, it comes down to, um, I've seen it work pretty well. I, it's not a home run for anybody. I mean, I know patients, unless you keep doing it, it's not going to be the perfect. Treatment. Right. Well, and that's what I was going to just say. It doesn't seem like any of this is just a one shot deal or even just a one um, series deal. It seems like it's just ongoing. And this is going to be, this is when you go down this path, it is a time commitment and it's, it, and a financial commitment. We'll talk about the financial component of it later, but um, it certainly seems like this is, you know, you're, you've got to be in it for the long haul. It depends. No, yes and no. Again, the same answer. Yes and no. It depends what you're looking. Again, if it's for a chronic medical issue, if you're doing it for, um, again, for hair or um, sexual dysfunction, unless you find the cause of it, then yeah, you're going to be doing it for in perpetuity. Um, but if you're doing it on the sports end, um, I've had patients who had a torn rotator cuff. They did the we did IV injection, some other stuff, and they were back in six months, and they didn't really have to do it again. Or it's the same thing like taking an ibuprofen where when they had a little ache again, they started again two years later and we did it for another month or two and they went back. So those are more one-shot deals. Um, gut health is the same thing. If somebody has like a bad, infl not inflammatory bowel, not the best example, but a, a inflamed gut from poor eating just or stress, you fix their gut. If they do what they're supposed to do, they may not have to go back on it. So there's, it's, not yes, there are some people who do it all the time. And if you're doing like an anti-aging protocol, you're doing it twice a year, but it's only for like a month or two. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's everything is individual. And again, what I tell my patients is, is understand what your goals are, how willing you are to do this. Are you dipping your toe in? Are you going full in? And like you said, the cost. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to talk about um, peptide therapy in the sports performance arena. I'm a mom of five and my kids are high-end athletes. And I think together they've had 15 surgeries on their hips, shoulders, and knees. And, you know, not, no one's even 30 yet. So it's, you know, a, a lot of surgery. Um, is peptide therapy even allowed in professional sports and college sports? No. Anything that's regulated by WADA, which is the World Anti-Doping Association, they just banned BPC... I think like close to six months ago, a year ago now, um, was during middle of COVID. So they're tech, they're not allowed for anybody who is being tested. Um, so that that they're so that's the simple answer. Ah, uh, so now when you talk about how you've helped professional athletes, they aren't active professional athletes. They're either retired or haven't gotten there yet. Or well, no, I mean before it was legal is one thing. Two, there's also there's a time frame with a note that you can do it. If they do in their off season and they have a note saying why they did it, there's every league is different. You have to go through. The, oh, okay. They have substance people at a, all professional leagues have it. Um, or and there's other things. I don't just treat my athletes just with peptides. So there's other things I can do legally um, without having any issues going on. So it's all of the above. Like I said. Uh, um, but right now, like I said, they just got, they really figured it out. They, they jumped on them within the last year or two. I was doing them before. So it's a combination of both those factors. What's the reasoning for the FDA going backwards on this? It's the, it's the, it's the doping association. The, well, the FDA is also against them. But that's another whole different reason. Um, the, because it does improve performance. You were going to recover quicker. You can build muscle. Some of them boost, boost growth hormone, which obviously is going to make you stronger and recover quicker. 
Um, and uh, so, I mean, as we see in the last Olympics, um, people do anything to maximize performance. So it, they, they definitely, I mean, I, again, I have athletes who, who are not professional, but high competitive athletes that have really boosted their performance with it. Um, so that's the FDAs after them because they could, there's some of them work better than some prescriptions. That's a whole different story, but, mm, um, okay. but in terms of sports performance, true peptides are not, are, are all banned right now, unless you get special permission. So for someone like me, who is someone who's very active every day, working out, lifting weights, you know, riding my Peloton, um, hiking, and, you know, I'm in my mid fifties and getting a little sore, definitely recovery is getting a little bit harder. Um, what are the peptides that you would use? Like, where would you start with someone like me? So by itself, I mean, again, my go-to right now is still what's called BBC 157, which I mentioned before. Yeah. Is yep. by a protective compound, which is divide, de derived from humic stomach acid. Um, it has the most bang for the buck for what it is. Um, and, and then we either add on, people do combination of three other ones. Some they call it the, uh, the Wolverine stack after the Marvel character um, or comic book character, whatever he is. Um, yeah. They add either TB500 um, or CGC, which boosts growth hormone, which is also big time in healing. Um, so that'd be add on, those are the things that we add on peptide wise. And then we also have patients, obviously working with a chiropractor, osteopath, somebody to work on their, that part. We, and we love adding in things like red light therapy, which is just a, a great add on for healing. So, but those are three really initial ones that we go to. A lot of this sounds, a lot of patients sounds like alphabet soup. They're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just write it down for me and tell me what it's doing. And some people are insanely expert at it at this point they've done just as much research as some of the doctors have so it's interesting and so what do you when you take these peptides for sports performance um, purposes are these injections at the site of like the knee joint or is this a pill form neither usually so the best form for most things is still self-injection um if i have a patient self-inject then they're injecting in the abdomen or inner thigh mm. um they, I don't want somebody trying to inject their knee and causing more damage or causing themselves an infection. Um, so there's ways around that. Either they'll come, if they're local, um, based mostly in Manhattan, they'll come into the office and I'll inject them once a week, once every month, and then they'll be doing their abdominal um, treatment at home. Or what they'll do if I feel that they're really comfortable injectors, if they have a shoulder injury, I'll have them do either like a flu shot type injection out like in, on the outside of their yeah. shoulder or in the buttock area if the hip issue where they it, there's a lot more positive effect than any risk to it um i don't really have anybody go near their knee or their hand just because there's too many nerves and things that they could cause problems with i say look you're going to come into the office and we'll do it here um so i don't have patients inject their joints but they can get a little closer but um, the downside of that is if you do that every day, you'll get even more sore. So what I'll do is have them flip-flop. You should do all, every, uh, every other day, local versus abdomen and flip-flopping back and forth. But that's for the patients who are really feel comfortable injecting. Um, and then we just kind of work from there. So when you inject like that, is there downtime? Do they have to skip a day of working out or is it just Not a regular day? Um, not most cases, no, because they're doing it every day. So it's not, um, 
only if I inject, if I do it in, in the joint, I have them rest, but otherwise, no, I don't have them down, decreasing their workouts at all, really, in a, in a broad stroke, broad scope. So you're also a functional medicine doctor and people come to you outside of just your peptide therapy expertise. So they might come to you because they're just not feeling optimal and they want to really, you know, get a deep dive into what's going on with them and how to help them reach their health goals. When someone comes into you like that, a new patient, at what point would you say, all right, we've done X, Y, and Z. Now we need to go over to peptide therapy or, or do you do it right off the bat? It depends. I mean, the best examples I can give are where I started right away or is my gut is gut health. Um, my gut health patients, um, a lot of them be it leaky gut or bloating or almost if they can, if it makes sense and they can afford it, I'm doing BBC right away. Um, the other major one, you mentioned sexual dysfunction. A lot of the, there are now combos where you can get for men, if you can get the PT-141 with either Cialis or um, Viagra and or oxytocin. So you can, you, it works a lot of patients well for patients in that regard. Um, that's the starting point. Also, um, I also use them pretty right away for my autoimmune patients. So the, almost all the cases, a lot of those cases I'm starting right away. Um, there's certain patients who are the only patient I really try to avoid them in initially, or what I call my chronic sensitivity patients, where they either have mast cell or they're sensitive to every medication out there, um, or they have, then that's when I'm really slow playing them in. And I really, but I microdose them at doses that no, nobody else would use. Um, but in most cases, they are either my first or sometimes my second line treatment for a lot of patients in a vacuum. Again, I just think they have a lot, again, they're cleaner with less side effects. They work quicker. Um, and then I, so I, I, I like using them. Like, cause I find if patients feel that they're getting better, they see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, mm -hmm. They're more positive, you know, it helps them feel better. And it's, it's a good, it's a good side effect to have. So that's, it's, I, in most cases I'm doing it early. Yeah, that makes sense. Sometimes I send clients out to get, um, peptide therapy with local doctors here in Chicago, if they come in and they're really obese and they have massive joint pain. And so it's like a double-edged sword. If I can't get them to move and I can't get them feeling a little bit better and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, I can't get them to change their lifestyle. So I can see why you would sort of package all of it yeah. together. Yeah. And like my cheesy analogy, I tell patients something like that is it's like, it's like a safety deposit box where you have to turn all the keys at one time. Yeah. I could just give them peptides, but if that may help their pain, but if they're not changing their eating habits and starting to work out, then you're only going to get minimal effect from all three. So it's, it's not, like I said, peptides for a lot of cases is not monotherapy. It's a, it's a nice building block with the other ones that you still have to do. Like I said, it doesn't replace a lot of stuff, but it's a great starting point or add on. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about supplementation. So that the same person comes in and you start them on peptide therapy. Do you also combine certain supplements based on maybe their blood work or micronutrient test or whatever other labs you perform? All the time. I mean, um, I guess I keep going back to gut. It's just the easiest example. I mean, I, I'll do my go-to cocktail. Usually for a lot of the patients, I do a lot of SIBO and a lot of IBS, even though I hate the term, but it's another story for another day is um, I'll do the BPC. I love low-dose naltrexone, which is probably my other favorite 
natural supplement out there and then I'll either add if it's more like I can either add like a mastic gum or I can add a glutamine or some or berberine which are my three of my big go-tos that's kind of my initial cocktail for those patients or um joint pain I may add in high dose fish oil what are called SPMs I add in like I mentioned red light therapy in addition so yeah, I'm always adding things in it's a great and I, I try to start patients on like three or four things at a time for most patients because otherwise a, they get overwhelmed and they don't know what's going on. And B, if something goes wrong, you can't, you got to go all the way back to zero. And that's frustrating for everybody. Right, right. And so what does that talk look like that you have with your <clears throat> patients about lifestyle? You know, if they, you know, we haven't gotten to the cost yet, but if they want to start down this, this journey and supplements, it just basic supplements are expensive. Um, do you talk to them about their sleep, stress management, nutrition? Like, do you work on all the things as well at the same time? Within reason, like I said, I don't try to do everything at once because it just doesn't work. It depends on the patient too. Again, it depends if I'm dealing with a high level athlete or executive who's trying to get from eight to an 11 versus a 350 pound person who has six different comorbidities. I mean, there's different, you slow, with my athlete, I, I try to either they're already doing it or I'm just fine tuning things in a lot of cases. So yeah, I'll do, I mean, sleep is always, I do diet is I get involved in that. A lot of times me personally, I'll give more broad strokes and then I kind of, you get a feel where everybody is because there's so many different ways it goes right now. A on what their favorite diet is or what they, what's going to work for them. And B uh, I either work with a health coach or nutritionist that I would pair people up with. I find that depending on what their goals are, some people, I got a patient today who wanted a plan, a meal plan specifically, every meal specifically designed for them. Some people just want some broad strokes about what they need to do. So, but you need to you sleep, exercise, um, diet is the foundation of the house. The, um, peptides is kind of like the nice TV, but unless the foundation is solid, everything else is going to fall apart anyway. So um, you still need to do that first. And I usually will hit parts of that depending on what the big red flags are. Um, mm -hmm. and then, but I also walk people through, okay, today we're going to do your sleep and we're going to do this and we're going to get you on this one peptide. And then we're going to switch to B and then add this peptide. Again, I call it, it's by juggling with patients. It's, we're going to flip flop everything. And I, I'm lucky to have a lot of higher end, like patients who are, or they know my, what my style is. They know I'm going to be pretty aggressive. If they just want somebody to put them on glutamine, I'm glad to help them. Um, but a lot of times they, I'm getting the patients who've already seen seven other doctors or whoever, and they've done the basic stuff already. So they're me to be pretty more aggressive. Um, that's kind of what my client, I'm kind of the guy who's the patients who charge her a half an inch sink already. Um, yeah. Are there any pharmaceutical drugs that peptide therapy cannot interfere with? Cannot, that won't, I mean, that will? Yeah, that, that will interfere with working, sorry. Yes. Um, not, uh, depends. Um, the main ones, some, a couple of them will interfere with if you're on any type of uh, SSRI or antidepressant. Mm -hmm. um, they Which so many people are on these days, right? Especially coming, yeah. you know, exactly. out of COVID. Yeah. They did, exactly. Um, some of the autoimmune drugs, we have to make them aware of what's going on. Um, the other two big ones would be obviously with everything is if you're on some type of blood thinner, um, very rarely that can affect. And the other one is actually a good thing, but it can cause a side effect is if they're on thyroid, especially thyroid medication or anti, and or anti-inflammatories that the medicine works pretty quickly a lot of times. 
So they'll end up, they have to quickly lower their thyroid dose because their, their immune system, their inflammation has gone down so quickly that they don't need as much thyroid medication. Same thing with if they're on some type of pain medication, not, not, not narcotic, but like either ibuprofen or whatever, we have to let them know, right. hey, you may not need that as much. So that's a good side effect, but that, we have to make sure they're aware that, that the, their med, they may not need as much of their medications. Right. So that goes back to these online forums. And that is what is so worrisome for me is that people don't mention all the different pharmaceuticals they might, they might be on and all the different um, issues they might be having health issues. And then they go and they take all these peptides and either don't space them apart like they're supposed to or lower their dose. And you can really get into, you know, some, some tricky waters there. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's definitely the one where you can definitely get yourself in trouble. Um, this especially the newer generation they like doing everything online and kind of it's but yeah the peptide because i've seen again i've seen compounds and combinations that i would never do and I'm, I'm one of the more aggressive guys out there and i wouldn't do it so um it's concerning um i, I have to subtly nudge people i can't get medical advice in any of those groups but yeah just, just be careful when you're in those groups because some, a lot of the doses are just way too high. They're doing them way too long. You want to make sure that you're not doing these in perpetuity. You want to um, cycle. If you're doing any of them, you're cycling them on and off, on and off. You're not in, on them in perpetuity. Yeah. So there's been um, a lot of talk about telomere length lately. And a lot of people don't know what telomeres are and its relationship to longevity. And I'm really curious to see if there's from you, if there are any peptides out there that work specifically on lengthening um, telomeres. And can you first explain what telomeres are and, and why they're so important to our longevity and our overall health? Another another lecture by itself. Another <laughs> podcast by itself. Yeah, by itself. But yeah, during, telomeres during or the end cap of your DNA, um, they um, the length of them, big, capital letters may be related to longevity. The studies that have done so far are, have, don't show a correlation specifically. We know that people with longer telomeres may have a better, more, be more healthy and may have more longevity, um, but it's the one, anything that says that it does increase longevity because the telomere length is lying, it's not been proven. Um, so that's why I always throw, we always throw out there first. The last year or two, it used to be like the new hot topic like NAD was or something else. Um, but they are important for health. They do help with recovery to some degree. So there's a benefit in monitoring them. Um, the one that we really use is what's called a pitalon, um, which is, an, it does either for anti-aging, mainly because of telomere length and some other things that it does in terms of the, the cell itself. Um, pinealon also may help. Um, those are the main two that we use in terms of their true peptides. And then that also can be combined with a product called um, TA65, which we know does lengthen the telomere. Again, they has, it has benefits, but not specifically that it made not, we don't know yet if it increases uh, lifespan yet. So yeah. a lot okay. of buzzwords that are sometimes used interchangeably, you could have a better health span, which is a healthier life, which it definitely does. But life, mm -hmm. there's nothing that's proven in humans medicine-wise yet that definitely increases lifespan yet. Um, so that's always the dividing the line that's coming up now more than ever. And do you have um, a lot of clients that are coming in to work on mitochondrial health and telomere health specifically? Yeah, more and more and more. More and more, um, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's great because, I mean, I just did a presentation 
on how important mitochondrial health is for general health as well as it, we know it affects like every disease known to mankind from Alzheimer's to diabetes. So, yeah. um, and also people are using it again as an anti-aging. So, I mean, there's, that's actually where some of the best research in terms of the peptides is coming out now um, because a lot of the uh, drug companies are trying to use them A to potentially as products. And also there's three now out there that really have great benefits to the mitochondria. Um, so we're using both in patients' anti-aging protocol, and there's some studies in terms of them working really well as antioxidants and for heart health specifically. Um, so it's great that we can use them for both. Um, those are ones, unfortunately, are probably the, some of the most expensive ones out there right now. Mm -hmm. um, but luckily, you're usually only doing them for two, two months uh, hits twice a year. Um, but that's definitely become a much bigger... Um, interest over the last probably six to nine months. Um, a lot of different reasons for that. That's really interesting. That'll be interesting to see how that all develops over the coming years. Um, so as one of my specialties is being a certified carnivore coach, and I get a ton of clients that come to me um, thinking that eating the carnivore diet is the end all to all of their problems, all of their health conditions. And especially their mitochondrial health. And we know that ATP is produced inside our mitochondria. That's our energy currency. And what is your, what are your thoughts on food as medicine and, and eating a nutrient dense diet to get everything done in one big swoop, right? I mean, you work in regenerative medicine where you have all of these cool tools at your fingertips to help one of your help clients. But a lot of clients come to me and they think just a nutrient dense diet, whether it's a vegan or carnivore or somewhere on the spectrum in between could do everything. And the answer is it can't, at least my opinion is it can't. Um, they, the right diet for the right person can definitely be beneficial. I mean, carnivore works for some people. Keto is great for people. I mean, again, we know there's studies for epilepsy and other things like that. Uh, has probably more data. I mean, vegans, vegan diet, I, it, I don't recommend it for my, a lot of my patients. It, it, there are patients who either need to do it for either health reasons or ethical reasons, as long as they're getting vitamin supplementation, that's great. But the good is they're using pretty healthy whole foods. I don't have to worry about them eating sugar. They're, they're probably my healthier patients. They just have, they maybe get to make sure they're supplementing vitamin wise. Um, right. Again, I don't think it's the, I think diet is, should be, um, a part of anybody's health plan. I think you need to understand what you're doing. You need to work with a doctor who is not focused on one specific. And there's some doctor all keto or all what all plant-based or all Mediterranean. And it's not, it's not one size fits all. I have right. again, and I think they need to understand that. Um, again, plus some of the lab work that comes back for people like on keto and carnivore and they freak out and they don't really understand what's going on. But also you have to so um again I think it's a big piece of it. I think no diet fixes everything. I mean, and actually we know in a lot of people, especially men, that fasting may actually is probably has more health benefits than most diets do um, for the right person. Um, so lack of food is gonna help. So it's, it, it, they're all food and or fasting are big pieces to the puzzle. But again, if yep. they're, it, 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 it's, it's, there's nothing that's a one side that's gonna, is that it's a super thing that's gonna fix everything. And, and people promote it that way and have a book or, a TV show or whatever, or a supplement that they want to promote and saying it does A to Z and it, it's not true. 
but um, and I try to tell people that. Yeah, I agree with you there. Is there a place for peptide therapy in women who are going through perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause? That is probably one of the least um, efficacious areas that it can be helpful in by itself. Like I, like you mentioned, it is it's helpful in the symptomatic issues, um, in the sense of, I mean, in terms of the hair loss, it, there's ones that work well for hair loss. There's energy for women who get fatigued. It'll help there. It'll help their skin if their skin is saggy, so it boosts collagen production. Um, you can, in some um, one of the peptides might see can help with the hormones a little bit. Um, but it's, it, it's probably the one that we use. We can also use certain ones to help boost bone growth if they have some osteopenia and osteoporosis, mm -hmm. but it's still either helping their detox. It's still the core stuff for women who are menopausal is you still need to usually a improve their detox system, get their hormones as regulated, whichever way they feel comfortable doing, depending on their history and then treating any type of symptomatic issues. I mean, I get my go-to, I have multiple menopausal women who are on different peptides for different things. I mean, that, it works great for the symptoms. I get muscle, hair, uh, skin issues, fatigue issues, memory issues. Peptides are great for all of those things, but still not fixing the main problem, which is the hormone deficiency. Um, so it's, that's where, it, again, it's not the primary, but it's definitely fixed a lot of secondary things. So do you recommend women going on bioidentical hormones in conjunction with peptide therapy? I would phrase it this way, uh, just to, I would say the bioidentical hormones can be used in conjunction with peptide therapy, um, but bioidentical is something you definitely need to speak with your healthcare provider who knows your whole history, yeah. your family history. That's probably one of the biggest things where it's, this is not medical advice, but you can do both. Yeah. Okay. And what about women who are family planning? Um, that is actually going to be one of the next big areas that we're looking into right now. Oh, there's actually okay. studies going on that. I mean, again, I love mitochondria back to mitochondrial health, that there are a lot of people now believing that mitochondrial health, oxidative stress are, are big issues why women are having problems with fertility besides mm -hmm. there other things going on too. So there are now right. some people who think the mitochondrial peptides like MOTC um, or even SS31 have may have benefit there. There's some very, very, very early studies ongoing there. Um, there we use, we can use again MOTC of patient women who have like PCOS and have fertility issues. Um, inflammation, like um, I mentioned BPC, there's some there's people think there's some inflammatory issues again that may reduce fertility. So it's, it's coming, it's used off label a lot. And the thing I always tell my patients is with, right now for, for Lisa Meyer, fertility doctors are probably the most conservative doctors out there. They have kind of run with their cookbook and that's all they do right now, which I understand for a variety of reasons. So this is very experimental. You got to make sure either totally understand the risks with it or make sure that their, their fertility doctor, their gynecologist is on board with it. Um, but the science makes sense, A to B, C, and that's what they're studying for medicines that they're now considering trying to use to help boost women's fertility. Um, mm -hmm. And this is probably, luckily, in the last year, I think the fertility, boosting fertility has now gotten most investment of any area of, of regenerative type medicine, which is great. 
Um, yep. A lot of them are being run by women founders, which is a nice side benefit to it because um, they that they understand the impact of it more than anybody else does. But it, it's it's there. It's just it's very early, early stages. Um, and again, it's something who really, really want to make sure everybody's on board with understand the pluses and minuses to it. Um, but unfortunately, as we have just the traditional stuff doesn't work all the time. So it's either don't do anything or consider taking some uh, work with somebody who really knows how to kind of manage everything. Yeah, well, that's really exciting to hear that there are studies starting and and ongoing. So really, really amazing because I have so many younger women in family planning stages who really just have such a difficult time. And um, it'd be great if peptide therapy was part of that equation down the road. Uh, let's talk about the costs. So I know that insurance companies do not cover peptide therapy unless you can tell me otherwise, maybe for some type of uh, illness or syndrome that it does. But what I understand yeah. is that it doesn't. The, it's 99.9% of the time it doesn't. Technically, there are two peptides. One's called tesamorelin, which is a growth hormone peptide, which initially mm -hmm. started in HIV patients. So you can get it, but it's still it very rarely is covered. And one of them for autoimmune, that's where it started from. And actually there's a third. There are three that very rarely will get covered. One called ARA290, which is being studied. And I mentioned SS31, which started as a, as a drug study. So four of them maybe, or unless you have one of those insane plans that pretty much pays for everything. There's a few fortunate people have those. It's, no matter what it is, they get paid for. Um, but 99% of the time, it's not covered. And so what is, I know there's various, different peptides and different ways to use them and stack them. But give me like an introduction cost, maybe pick out, you know, one or two scenarios. In terms of what their cost would be? Yeah. Uh, it, it, like I said, the thing, it depends where you're getting them from. And the other caveat is just, is that every, a lot of states have, are, are restricting peptide use. So it's very hard to get them. Um, so they're more expensive. Like California pretty much has banned all injectable peptides. Um, and Texas is actually, Texas and Minnesota are very hard as well. Um, on average, if you're going to do BBC, if you're going to do BBC and one other peptide for inflammation, which a lot of people are doing, uh, for quality product, you're talking anywhere from $400 to $500 combined. And how long does that last? Uh, depends on the dosing. Uh, the low, the, the bottles are geared for low dose, so that's geared to, for a month, give or take. Yeah, I think I came across a BPC one fifty seven bottle of sixty capsules from BioT um, that was about two hundred dollars, and that was going to last for a month. So it is quite expensive. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, capsules you gotta be careful of because especially a lot of if they can't absorb it, they're not it's not gonna be as useful. And there's right. a lot of, and um, BBC capsules, I've just found just don't work as well. Um, but it's one actually one of those weird things. Um, yes, but they're expensive. I mean, most of them are expensive. Well, I mean, it's all relative, but yeah, you're you're looking for one peptide. I tell patients it's gonna be anywhere from one thirty to up to there's one that's nine hundred dollars a month. So it just, that's one of the first things I ask people is, I mean, I hate to say it to patients, but what is your budget? I mean, it's good to know ahead of time because right. if they 
have a very limited budget, then I, I kind of to my treatment that way, or I've luckily had patients who don't care and they will do it that way, but they're not cheap. You're going to be doing them sometimes doing for two months. There's patients who are doing them six months out of the year. So you got to figure that in. And in some cases, again, I tell patients it's, if you're only going to, be able to do this for one month, it may not be the treatment for you because it's just not going to work enough. And there's no, we'll take that money and try another treatment that you're going to get more bang for your buck from than peptides, but they're coming down. Hopefully the problem again is the FDA and other government state agencies they are really bogging them down. So the, like everything else, you know, the cost is going up, prices, the patient goes up. Um, and like I said, so it's, it's got, it's going to get worse I think before it gets better. But I think that's, do you, do you ever, do you ever see health insurance covering peptides more like 10 years from now? Um, they may cover one or two. Um, like the ones I mentioned that are initially have a pharmaceutical use, it's kind of like everything else in the sense of a lot of these things don't have enough revenue behind it to initiate a really full big study that an insurance company then say, oh, wow, I'm going to put you on it. Um, so I, I would say unless things change dramatically, probably not um, just from for a variety of reasons. But I'd say if I had to guess, I'd say 10 years is still going to be the same thing. So let's say somebody comes to you and they want to come in and get some peptide therapy done for, let's say, an autoimmune disease, for example, and you tell them about the cost, the involvement, the time commitment, the financial commitment, and they say, that's just not possible for me. So what's your, what do you do next that's going to be much easier on the bank account? If peptides um, is not going to be an option, they're yeah. not, they can't stick with it long-term. I mean, I already probably, I probably mentioned my next two go-tos for a lot of, I mean, low-dose naltrexone is- Which is what? Can you explain what that is? Low-dose naltrexone. Naltrexone is a, was designed initially as a product for opioid overdose. So if you ever watch some of those yeah. TV shows or whatever, yeah. ER shows where the patient automatically pops like that, that's not, so a lot of times it's not naltrexone, one of his cousins. They, a doctor, I don't know, I think in the early 80s, late 80s, to start, realized by doing low dose about a, a tenth or actually less than that, a 20th of that dose, it, ha, it does numerous different things. It helps to balance the immune system. It also um, will help with pain by reduce partially, partially by re, inducing endorphins, which is partly what people feel when they have a runner's high or an exercise high. Um, they now know that it regulates insulin, which is why we're using it for weight loss um, and PCOS. Um, and good for back to fertility again. Um, so it does a lot of different benefits. I've had very few patients have any side effects. You can get it for a quarter of the price to a fifth of the price of what peptides are. Um, it titrates pretty quickly. And it, it, it does a lot of, it does a lot of things in one, which I love with patients because if I'd rather find one pill, that's going to do four things and then them four pills, it does one thing. Um, so that's probably my one other go-to. Um, I mentioned red light, I like red light therapy. It does a lot of things I mentioned as well. Um, and then, I mean, berberine is probably one of those things that also has a lot of great benefits for a lot of different things. And then everything else is kind of individual. I mean, there's like, I, I just told somebody before you is compared to even two years ago, nevertheless, like five years ago, there's so many new things out there now that have efficacy and so many different things that aren't prescription or even that some prescriptions I still use that are incredibly beneficial. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, now using melatonin as an anti-inflammatory for joint pain and not really using it for sleep. So things just pivot and all these new studies are coming out and everybody's diving like 
head on. I mean, Amazon's in it and Google's in it. I mean, there's so much money pouring into this stuff right now to try to find these products. It's, it's a great time to find things that are not prescription, have all these side effects. And I mean, you know, there are some prescription medicines that are, are really beneficial. I'm not saying don't yeah. take prescription meds. Yeah. Well, we're coming to a close. I've got two questions left for you. And one is, what are three things my listeners can do starting today to improve their overall health, knowing that they're not going to be having access to peptide therapy anytime soon? I mean, the stuff that we talked about, the simple stuff is a lot of it is um, sleep. I mean, maintain your circadian rhythm, get up at the same time every day get the right, get to be sure you're getting to deep sleep, um, exercise um, three to four times a week. And that's one of my studies that I thought was really cool that just came out is they did study that if you're just being positive has a, a, a much mm-hmm. beneficial um, in terms of short term, you may have a longer lifespan actually, but just being positive. So being positive and getting rid of negative thoughts, getting rid of negative people has an effect on your life. And all the, almost all those things are pretty much free um, so you don't have to worry about right. spending $200 on a peptide. So those are things that they yeah, I love it. Do. Yeah, I love that. And then what are your three favorite foods that you think everybody or most everybody should have in their diet? I'm the wrong, that's the one I'm the wrong person to ask that because <laughs> I am very picky. Um, I don't, I mean, uh, something I just don't eat everybody else. Um, what I well, said. don't think about in terms of yourself. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of really quickly. Uh, that's a question I've never been asked before. Um, I would say avocado, um, for some people, wheat germ because of the benefits of spermidine, and which is another mm-hmm. product which is great for everybody, which I never got into. And I'd just say fish. I can't get something else about the top of my head. Yeah, uh, fish is a good one. Those are all good ones. You know, I was actually asking you about spermidine, but we're running out of time yeah. and I want to be respectful of your time. But spermidine is a really cool um, supplement. I actually started it three months ago and uh, it really works on your um, mitochondrial health, which is what I'm really working on for myself, but not something that everybody has heard about. So maybe we'll get you back on the podcast and talk about spermidine. Glad to talk about it later date. No, it'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Paulvin. I will list all of your contact information for my listeners um, to figure out how to get in touch with you if they're interested in peptide therapy, because you do work virtually as well. So you don't have to be living in New York to have access to you. Exactly. I, I see patients all over the country. Yeah. And other things that Dr. Paulvin works on um, before we go is IV therapy, weight loss, brain health, women's health, men's health, regenerative sports medicine, and um, more than that. Is anything new coming up the pipeline or down the pipeline that we should know about? Um, not right now. I think we covered a lot of the stuff that we talked about is all this. I mean, the new, the new stuff is really giving me a lot of the cool tech that's coming out in the next like six months to a year things like cheaper hyperbaric and red light, like I talked about a lot. So that's really going to be, and the, and some of the brain gadgets that may be coming out in the next six months that can help people are, are really what I'm excited about. Well, cool. Maybe we'll do a podcast on just cool gadgets, biohacking gadgets. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Yeah. All right. Thank you again. Take care. And everyone, right, thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, 
you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.